Hi. Hello. Welcome. Have you heard the new... (laughs) Have you heard the good news about Twilight? They're getting newish... A newish cover redesign. Yeah, I have heard this. Okay. I'm Sophia, and I use she, her pronouns with an asterisk because I got to talk to my family. Because I can't do what I did the last time I came out. (laughs) I got to talk to them first. Um, my name is Dylan and sometimes Kat. Um, and my pronouns are they and them. Or so I really like I like the vibe of AM. Like they them pronouns, but you take off the TH, so it's two letters long and it's AM. Mm. The issue is my sister in law my future sister in law's nickname is M. Because her uh, name's Emily. So I feel like that would be too confusing for me to use in my life. Because. <laughs> well, I'll use A&M with you. I don't know. I don't know, but, Emily. But what if you're talking about my future sister-in-law? But I don't. When would. There's. <laughs> what are the situations? Um, I don't know her. Anyway. Pronouns, gender, gender. Yesterday I was talking with my therapist and I was talking about how like, oh, you know, when I was in high school, when I was graduating high school and going to college, I thought I knew what I wanted to do with my life. And now I have no clue. And she was like, yeah, you also thought you were a girl. And I was like, oh, shit, you're right. (laughs) She's like, you knew nothing when you were 18. The way I was describing it to a couple friends a few days ago is I'm. I'm a woman in the same way a tomato is a fruit. Mm. I think you said that on last week's episode. Yeah. A lot of gender is how you interact with society and how you perform yourself. And when you're performing for a computer or interacting with society in a very strange and disconnected sort of way, gender it becomes a lot easier to think complicatedly about your complexly. That's the word about your gender. Like when you're busy and you have to go to work every day and get she heard or he hymned and like you have to dress a certain way for your job or whatever, or like you're going to school and the way you're interacting with other people at school is like very specific. Like it's a lot harder to like be like, wait, 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 am I? Yeah. Is that why I feel like, High school, a lot of people start figuring it out, but don't really are aren't really able to come out until college. A lot of people figure it out in college because college is a whole different society than the rest of yeah, the world. Yeah, and you meet completely new people. Well, I and just then feel like you get from the pandemic. And for, for me, um, I went on, I went on, <laughs> I went on mood stabilizers like right, right before the pandemic started. Um, like January of 2020, and then the Pandorama happened, and then and then we went into a global panini, mm. and I came back and I was like, you know, this whole thing sucks, but for some reason, I'm also somehow able to think real positively about most things. That's weird. 
And I was like, I'm able to just like actually think positively about, not to get real deep on this podcast, about myself for the first time ever in my life. And I'm like, wow, I'm like a person who exists and I don't hate that. Yeah, it's amazing and for the what first... happens when the chemicals <laughs> in your brain do what chemicals in your brain are supposed do, to. I guess. Like are supposed for to. The first, for the first time in my life, I'm like, hang on a second. Let me think about me. And let me think about me in a way that's like, huh, I actually really do like me. It's amazing what like your brain chemistry being not busted. And in addition to food like having regular food and like blood sugar levels and being hydrated and being well rested can do yeah like yeah if your mental health is bad taking a nap isn't gonna solve all your problems but it's a lot easier to deal with them when you're not fucking exhausted you know yeah and neither is like drinking water but like no it's like my sister man it'll help Mental health is like baking a cake. You need all of the ingredients. You can't just throw an egg onto the counter and expect it to be a cake. (laughs) Jesus. (laughs) Therapy is the oven in this metaphor. I don't remember the whole metaphor, but therapy is the oven. And I believe the egg is being well hydrated. My God. Well, yeah. Smash an egg on the countertop and call it a cake. That's a really, really good metaphor. I really like that. Um, you know what this means? This is actually going to push me to talk to my family about, like, my pronouns. Like, I have to do it tonight because this episode... <laughs> Wait, when is this episode going to be posted? A week from Saturday. We're now Thanks. a week, a full week behind. Okay, so this so means have, I like, have... 10 days. So this means I have, like, a week. But this is going to po- push me to talk t- to my family because my dad listens to the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> So I can't I can't do what I did last time when I came out as then bisexual now queer which is I came out on Facebook before I talked to literally anybody in my family apart from my brother mm. um <laughs> and, and they all found out through other people Yeah um you're you're talking to newspaper lad <laughs> Yeah we've talked about this before and I'm like <laughs> At the same, I don't know what will happen. Don't owe anybody an obligation to come out. However, in my experience, people <laughs> will take you coming out a lot better if they hear it from you rather than I don't know the newspaper, Facebook. Like a I don't think like my parents aren't gonna have. I mean, I'm 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 gonna. Well, I'll do it before this episode drops. So, like, I'm. I think I'm gonna be a. a, a I'm gonna be a she they. I don't know. Like. It's for now. It is the pronouns are going to be she, they. But, you know, I think probably it's going to be one of those things where it's like, if you're cis, fine, use they, use she pronouns, like, fine. But, you know, if like you're in queer spaces, I'll probably gravitate more towards maybe I'll use they pronouns and try that hat on for a while and see how it feels, you know, because I'm still not totally sure, but I feel like I find myself drifting in a kind of a different direction where I like listen if I can get everybody to call me by they them pronouns yeah like by default then in specifically like trans spaces I might play around with like all of the pronouns do it pronouns do it but like right now I'm not in a place where I can handle anybody calling me she 
Good, yeah. Yeah, like, do what's best for you. My thing is, like, my parents already have enough trouble to start out with. If I can just get them occasionally. Mm -hmm. Maybe. So it's like, you know, I'll dip my toe in the water. I'll just be like, hey, you know, and I'll use my tomato metaphor. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, I still I still woman. I don't mind that label. But when somebody comes up to me and says you're a fine young lady, it do make me feel icky. I don't. Um. I'm like, I'm like, am I, though? Am I a fine young lady or am I just like, am I a am I a burlap sack with titties? Jesus Christ. The thing I, I only say burlaps. I only say burlap sack because I'm wearing like a. a you linen. are you, you are wearing. I'm a shirt wearing a, that looks like it's a burlap sh- sack with armholes. I'm wearing a brown linen shirt today. It's a really nice shirt that I really it like. It looks but comfy. It's a really comfortable shirt, but I was looking at myself in the Zoom window yeah, and I'm like, wow, I do, <laughs> I do kind of be looking like a burlap sack with titties. Um. <laughs> I sorry. Am I a woman or am I a burlap? Can we put that if we ever get like merch and merchandising? Can I say? Can we put on a T-shirt? Am I a woman or am I a burlap sack with titties? Absolutely. Oh, but but what I was gonna say is the other day I was talking to my therapist, and I was like, listen. I was at one point a girl, but then when I was gonna Pokemon evolution into being a woman, I didn't. I evolved into something else. (laughs) I'm just some what did i call myself just an adult (laughs) just just some guy my gender is an adult but like with a sigh like not an adult like ooh, an adult but like an adult with like taxes (laughs) (laughs) it's like when i was talking about like i was talking with my therapist about my sexuality because i'm like having a a whole thing with like compet and that whole thing Mm. um it's a whole thing did you know Uh, um fun fact you don't actually have to define your gender or sexuality at all that's true what makes you happy that's also that's super true um but she was like you don't actually that's basically what she said to me she was like you don't actually have to like do anything for anybody else and when somebody asks you what your sexuality is you can tell them it's evolving mm. and i was like ooh i really like that cuz it makes me sound like a pokemon <laughs> um should we talk about twilight should, we should probably talk about twilight so, i don't know how much of what you were talking about is going to stay in yeah but we just spent a solid 20 minutes talking about gender, gender. Um, you could put it in our in our in our bingo episode about gender. I'm not gonna do that, but <laughs> I, anyway, <laughs> what was I? Oh, Twilight. Twilight. So um, this, this this headline. From have Mary you wait, wait, wait? Have you seen the so pre Twilight's initial release? Mm-hmm. All of the books, Stephanie Myers. Um, or Stephanie Meyer, she who will remain nameless. We don't like her. Smyer. Smyer. Um, uh, she's on par with, um, she who must not be named, transphobe supreme, Mm. and author of the Harry Potter series. Um, well, I don't know. JK, her, (laughs) her might be worse. Um... Who's to say? Um, 
like they've both written overtly racist things into their book series but i don't know let me sorry i saw a post the other day that it kind of explained my opinion on harry potter exactly on tumblr but as i was saying so so smire um designed her own covers for all of the book releases like before they were going to be released and I'll pull up the TikTok. They're terrible. Like, genuinely, they're awful. And, like, she would put these on, on the covers of her manuscripts that she would give out to, like, her friends. And she'd be like, here, read this. Boosh. Also, the first Twilight book was supposed to be called Forks, because that's the name of the town. I've been to Forks, Washington. In the pre-Twilight days. Sorry, that was in, like, 2007. Sorry, you said the phrase Forks Washington, and it unlocked a hidden secret memory in my mind, <laughs> which is the fact that I, at one point, knew all the words to I'm Not Edward Cullen, a song by Hank Green. Oh, my God. The premise wow. of which is, I can't be the man that you want me to do. I can't be the man that you want me to be, because I am, in fact, a human person. Damn. Yeah, I've been to, I went to, I went on vacation because I've, my aunt and uncle live on the Pacific Northwest, but we went to Forks, Washington at one point. It's a great town. I don't know if it's still, last I heard about Forks, Washington is it was totally and completely um, covered in Twilight stuff. Oh, and as we're talking about Twilight stuff, this is a great time to remind everybody to donate to... Stop Line 3. (laughs) No, that, and also to... So, the Quileute tribe, that's a real tribe. Move to higher ground. Donate to their campaign to move their historic museum and and school to um, higher ground because of uh, ocean sea level rise. So, do that. Donate to move to higher ground. Um, um, yeah, donate there. That's a great time to just really plug that, push that, um, because just, it's a real, like, not that I'm saying, I don't know, she, she probably shouldn't have made up, like, a fake indigenous tribe that would have also been real bad, but what she did was also a real bad. Yeah. Um, I also, um, I got an email from... At some point, I signed up for a a Move to Higher Ground mailing list, and I got an email talking about supporting Ampetuwi Wind Farm, Mm. um, Mm -hmm. which is also uh, a thing to look into. um, Yeah. And a good thing to support. Yes, Um, Move to Higher Ground. Yeah. What's the what? Is it movetohigherground.org? Is there a campaign website? Maybe. I'm going to go find the website so we can... Yeah. Oh, it's um, mthg.org is the campaign website for the... You can also Google Move to Higher Ground. <laughs> that too. And it'll the first thing that pops up is their website. It's um, their mission to secure future for the Quileute tribe by moving the at-risk community to the safe zone where the culture and heritage can continue to fri- thrive for generations to come. Um yeah, so go to their website, donate, um, share, talk about it, because literally 
yeah. Anyway, there are so many problems with what she did, Smire, with yeah. the Quileutes in Twilight. And I watched a really great documentary a while ago because I have a problem with, well, not with this, but just with Twilight in general about the Quileute tribe. And it's really interesting and fairly complex because they've gotten a lot of, like, Smire wrote them, the tribe, and the indigenous people in the book, horribly racist and awful. But the tribe has talked about how they've gotten a lot of tourism because of it. Yeah. Um, And, but the way she went about doing it, where she didn't even consult anybody from the tribe about anything. Um, So, and also canonically writing in that vampires can't be people of color. Do you know about this? Yeah, we've talked about this before. Um, Anyway, she's terrible. Although apparently is a really, really good tipper. Because my aunt served her at the restaurant where she works. Nice. So Um, at least, at least there's that. Yeah. I want to, um, sorry, I just, I found the Tumblr post that I was talking about. And I'm not going to read the whole thing because it's like paragraphs. But the summary is basically, basically like, listen, listen, now in this day and age, like, I understand being like, oh my God, J.K. Rowling's the worst. I don't like Harry Potter anymore. I want nothing to do with Harry Potter. But it's wild that everyone's like, I are, I knew all along that Harry Potter was problematic because you didn't. No, you d- you didn't. Um, and it's like, um, let me just. Um, uh, it's wild. This is from at Brawl Together now on Tumblr. Uh, It's wild to see people say it seems obvious that this franchise was always poorly constructed. Derivative Drek littered with red flags and anybody would notice at a cursory glance that there's absolutely nothing genuinely appealing about it. And it's just like that it was it wasn't the biggest literature phenomenon of recent times because it had a uniquely strong marketing strategy. It was about the relationship between the people and the characters. And then somebody followed it up with like, listen it's they're good books they have really bad elements but we can't all just be like we can't retroactively say that they're terrible books like yeah like you can say for you bad elements but being like oh they've always been really bad and racist like they've always been racist but like they're good books and also she didn't invent a lot of the like terrible stuff that she's playing into she didn't invent the the fantasy portrayal she didn't invent anti-semitic portrayal of goblins yeah as a a jewish as a jewish uh, person um those anti-semitic stereotypes about jewish people they've been around for a lot longer than jk rowling um but twilight (laughs) but twilight there's quote-unquote new twilight covers yeah there are the reason why it is quote-unquote new is it's just the same covers as the original, I think, covers, but the font is bigger. Yeah. It's the so like for instance the the first Twilight book, it's the hands holding an apple and it says Twilight between the two forearms. Mm-hmm. Uh, now it is there's no forearms, it's just the hands and the apple and the word Twilight takes up like 90% of the cover. Yep. 
it's they're the same covers but zoomed in and the font is bigger yeah i'm i found the the tiktok about the i'm muting it but in like every and again i i keep on referencing i feel like i've talked about kenna um aka down with the mouse on tiktok um a lot on this show because they have a lot of really good things to say yeah. about film and media. Mm-hmm. But in like, there's a, tr- it's a trope. It's become a trope in like vampire related media. It's happened in Twilight. It happened in Vampire Diaries. And I think it happened in True Blood where one of the vampires fought for the Confederacy. Why? Because people who are writing like vampire shows haven't like, I don't know why, Sorry, but like my brain just remembered that. Um, so the when they made up new minions lore for the minions movie, excuse me, the lore was the minions serve whoever the biggest baddie of the time is, and during World War Two, the minions were conveniently trapped in a well or something, so they couldn't. <laughs> Sophia is leaving. I'm done. I'm done recording the podcast for today. Bye. No, I'll come back. Oh, sorry. They trapped them in a well? They were in Antarctica. They were in Antarctica. That's convenient. They were were frozen in Antarctica. That's convenient. Yeah, they were literally, literally the, oh God, um, the the people who created the minions were like, okay, so their thing is they serve the biggest evil of all time. And someone went, what about World War II? <laughs> what about Hitler? And they were like, hmm, they were in Antarctica? <laughs> Somebody went, we got to deal with Hitler. <laughs> we have to, we have to engage with <laughs> in this children's terrible terrible cartoon that retcons the original show or the original movie in the original movie the minions were Gru's first invention yeah cowards despicable me was a good movie it was not bad it was not bad and And honestly ruined it (laughs) they literally not only did they ruin it also i think if they were gonna do it they should have just done it fucking cowards (laughs) illumination cowards (laughs) cowards <laughs> like you just said about like you said about harry potter kids smart kids are old enough to engage in dialogue Christ. the dialogue being these cute little tic tacs that like bananas. are complicit in the murder of millions <laughs> no i think they should have been i think they should have been they should have not been complicit and they should have been like they should have not I don't know. They should have they could have done it. If they if they really wanted to. My thing is the like Cowards. the whole concept of them just this serving is a, whatever the biggest listen, bad is makes them complicit really, in every war crime. It's really dumb and I really don't like it. And I will say that was a joke. <laughs> that was a joke. That was a joke. I don't think that the minions should have served Hitler. I don't first of all, don't like the minions. That's your issue. Have you seen the TikTok that's like 
Um. Oh my god. The that's your issue with an all female remake. Um, <laughs> yes, yes, Birth yes. of a Nation. Yes, <laughs> it just doesn't pass the Bechdel test. That's they your... should do. It. That's that's your issue with Birth of a Nation. That's um, so. It's literally, so, how like, white feminists in film theory classes sound sometimes. TBQ. Serious, seriously. Anyway, should we talk about our articles? Mine's sh- kind of short. Yeah, mine is but... a little bit long and a little bit serious. So can I go first? Go for it. Mine is goofy as hell. Perfect. Um, I'm I'm really interested and excited about this article. I literally so I have on my on my phone in Chrome. I have like a zillion tabs open, but I have a whole, a separate Chrome window for news articles. We've been recording for forty five minutes. I am aware. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just watching the time go by. Um, <laughs> I have 12 new f- news tabs open right now. Um, and I like, w- I didn't have one that I wanted for this episode. Like I had a couple good ones. Like it would be fun to talk about demon chihuahuas or uh, sand sculpting, com- sculpting competitions. But then I saw this one this morning and I really wanted to, Dude, I Dig literally in. didn't have an article until like 20 minutes before I sat down to record with you. Um, well, I, when I run out of time on social media on my phone, because I have timers on social media apps, I just go through my Google News feed. Very, bi- <laughs> very big brained of you, King. Um, very, very smart monarch. <laughs> I spent all of my. I spent my whole 30 minutes on Twitter looking at different pit crews. So now I'm bored and I'm going to scroll through the news. <laughs> How is King as a moniker for I, you? I like King. I think, it's, I, I think it's funny because I only ever hear it used in a meme sense. Good. Um, if I ever were to become a monarch, I would like the term regent. I've decided that the... Um, gender neutral term you know like sir and ma'am mm. i've decided that the gender neutral term is comrade we had um. some pigeons flying at us when i was sitting in boston common a couple days ago eh, not at us near us and i was saying you know sir ma'am and then i was like i don't know the gender of these pigeons comrade what I are you doing sir is a very fun way to address animals Oh, it's great. And that's pretty much, like, that's the only time I really use the word sir. When somebody cuts me off in traffic, ma'am? Yeah. Ma'am? Not to assume that, like, I don't want to be like women are bad drivers, but ma'am? I, cars have genders, so jot that down. Ma'am? Like all vessels. Um. Anyway. (laughs) They're like ships. They all use she her <laughs> pronouns. Um, anyway, Where's this my article going. Bye. This article comes to us from the Boston Globe. It is from the Critics Notebook. It is by Murray White of the Boston Globe, um, planting the seeds of change at the MFA. <clears throat> That's my I'm about to start reading noise. Um, Good appeal to the great spirit which is a statue, has sat alone on the front lawn of the MFA for more than a century. But some say it's a painful stereotype. 
Now indigenous artist Elizabeth James Perry is reframing the conversation and the sculpture itself. So um, I'm just going to oh, describe ab- the statue. I think I heard about this. It is an indigenous man who appears to be mostly naked other than an elaborate headdress, headdress sitting on a horse with his arms kind of thrown out on either side looking up to the sky. Um, it's also on a, it's on a big old box. Like the statue, the pedestal that the statue yeah, is on yeah, is very yeah, yeah. large. Um, it's like bigger than the statue. Anyway, um, there's, so there's a picture of it with the art, the um, Elizabeth, per- Elizabeth James Perry standing next to it. Um, and the, the picture is captioned, artist Elizabeth James Perry walked last month through Raven Reshapes, Boston, a native corn garden at the MFA, an installation designed to envelop the S- Cyrus Stalin statue on the museum's front lawn. Uh, <clears throat> now we're getting into that was the that was the like the blurb. Yeah. Now, I, this is a very long article, so we might reach a point where I'm like, I'm going to skim, but I'm going right. to, I am going to read directly from the beginning. Ragged stalks of corn poke up from raw earth in front of the Museum of Fine Arts. Testament to a too cool, too wet summer. Seven feet, Elizabeth James Perry, who planted it back in late spring, said hopefully when I asked, not long after the crop went in, how tall it would be by the September harvest. Tall enough to swallow the granite base of Appeal to the Great Spirit, Cyrus Dolan's sculpture of a Native American man on horseback that has stood alone and undisturbed on the museum's front lawn for more than a century. James Perry, an enrolled member of the Akina Wampanoag Tribal Nation. Also, for the record, I, this morning I looked up how to pronounce uh, Akina Wampanoag, and one of, one of the only videos that came up was just a bunch of newscasters pronouncing it differently and like struggling through two words i'm like um just as a a guide for a lot of the at least a lot of the massachusetts tribes a lot of them and i've been told this by uh, one of my friends uh, at mount holyoke uh, a lot of them are pretty phonetic mm-hmm. um yeah is what is what i have been told at least of the Massachusetts tribe. I found a video and- of people of like, uh, I found a video that was a clip of a documentary that was mm-hmm. working with them where they called it a Kinawampanog. So I'm going to say it that yeah. way. Um, yeah. But I, I just- mean, it's always better to find um, for, for, you know, I and just- I should. Yeah. yeah I just want to like, literally it was like a video and it was like how to pronounce this word. And it was just a bunch of news clips of a bunch of like, white newscasters being like just like saying it like it was like like they were trying to speak a language that they did not speak which i guess technically it comes from a language that you know what i mean though they were like yeah acting like i mean and i pulled up i pulled up the article it's phonetic yeah i'm like as a dyslexic person i'm looking at it it's phonetic like a lot of the things like um cochituate is another town in massachusetts named after a tribe it's another phonetic like i've seen people yeah. come here and they're like kachichitwate and i'm like don't it's phonetic look at the word like look I at it say, and break it. 
the 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 in kind of instinctual phonetic way that people in Massachusetts pronounce town names <laughs> is very different than the way people outside of Massachusetts the, pronounce the town problem names. is like half of the towns are from like yieldy English and yeah. half of the towns are like indigenous yeah tribe tribal names and so it's like a toss-up between like what's what because if you looked at like Gloucester or Worcester you wouldn't think Gloucester and Worcester but like you live here long enough and you can recognize the roots and figure out how to pronounce it phonetically from there yeah but also like Massachusetts it comes from the Massachusetts tribe yeah anyway anyway I get not to be like getting on my high horse about this thing but I do get on my high horse I did a whole project about place names for my environmental history class um about like specifically Massachusetts place names um anyway Um, anyway James Perry an enrolled member of the Akino Wampanoag tribal nation of Martha's Vineyard will share the coming harvest with her community on the day we met in June, the stalks that surround the Dolan piece were just getting started, full of promise in the scorching sun of an early heat wave. This week, beset by an unrelenting soggy two months, yeah, 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 Jesus. Um, seven feet seems like a faraway goal. The stalks stand waist high, with harvest in just a few weeks. Even so, James Perry's cornfield breaks new ground. Since 1912, Dolan's work has sat in stony silence, bereft of even an informational panel for much of its history. Its stolid presence has given away little of the museum's mounting discomfort with its prominent placement in recent years. There's a lot of phrases in this that are <laughs> hard to the read. The Boston Globe, like the New the Boston Globe, like its parent company or parent owner, I guess, the New York Times, very wordy. Yeah. Um, in 2018, the MFA organization the MFA organized an exhibition. Just smushed that. In 2018, the MFA organized an exhibition called Collecting Stories Native American Art to acknowledge its spotty record on indigenous culture. The museum appeared to publicly allow that appeal to the great spirit might not be the symbol of a forward-looking institution, might not be the symbol a forward-looking institution wants at its front door. A small model of the piece sat at the exhibition's entrance, paired with commentary by Jamie Powell, the curator of indigenous art at Dartmouth College's Hood Museum, and a citizen... I'm not reading today. um, (laughs) And a citizen of the Osage Nation. Powell acknowledged Dolan's obvious skill, but... What the fuck? Excoriated what she saw as a vividly realized cliche okay i just what is this more i'm gonna i'm gonna google this word excoriated hang on on, i got it i got that click and define thing me too um oh dictionary.com but criticized what she saw vividly as a yeah as as a vividly realized cliche you could just say that you can just um, the piece represented an inaccurate message, she wrote, of the vanishing race narrative that had disempowered Native Americans for generations. 
More than three years and many, many internal conversations later, James Perry arrives as public emissary of the museum's increasingly outward hand-wringing over its most visible artwork. Her cornfield, flecked with cranberry bean stalks and sprinkled with crushed uh, quahog clamshells. Quahog? Quahog? I think it's quahog. Quahog. Clamshells. Uh, resituates the museum itself on native land specific to the coastal people who have lived there for millennia. Um, that was that was a uh, uh, that was a sentence, you know. But like, I just want to kind of like address what it's saying. It was it's basically it like was two. What? It was two very wordy sentences. Yeah. But basically, we'll break it. We'll break it down. Elizabeth James Perry. Planted corn and uh, with crushed quahog shells and cranberries, cranberry bean stalks um, to uh, kind of re-represent where the museum stands on native land, which is to say before colonizers, that would be farmland. Mm Mm-hmm. And it would be growing um, corn and cranberries. I'm just curious. I wonder what, um, let me, I'm going to the uh, nativeland.ca, mm. um, which is really great because you can, I don't know if you've you've done this before, yes. but you can look up what native land you are on. Um, and that also will guide you if you go to that. You can find um, information going to local tribes, and you can find also treaty information, mm-hmm. um, tribe information, and I believe most of them will take you to like things like pronunciation guides and things like that. Um, um, I also just want to throw out, if you can afford to, you can find, depending on where you live, like kind of local agricultural products from uh, uh, indigenous peoples in your area and you can support them. Mm-hmm. Like I have bought um, beeswax from some uh, local organizations and um, indigenous run companies and stuff. Yeah. Um Yeah. So, uh, yeah, Elizabeth James Perry grew some corn, is growing some corn um, to as a reflection of the um, the native land specific to the coastal people. Um, yeah, Boston is on both. It's sort of on like three different tribal yeah. lands. It's you know, it's on Pawtucket, Massachusetts. And Wampanoag yeah. land. I believe. I don't know the, if we've like, we. I don't know if we've ever done a, like a land acknowledgement, but um, ah, yes, I am currently recording from Nipmuc, uh, Pawtucket, and Mat- Massachusetts land. I can look up from where you are. I believe I'm. Um, I believe it's the same as Boston, Pawtucket, um, and yeah, Massachusetts Pawtucket. land. Yeah. But you should absolutely go and land acknowledgments are sort of just the 
kind of bare bones yeah. um, beginning of what you can do to actually learn about the land that you're on in the United States and really wherever you're coming from. Um, and you can look up what land you are occupying mm-hmm. and ways to give back to the tribes that are there. Yeah. And also look up if um, land back is an oppor- is is a option for where you are living. Um, and if you own the land that your home is on, if you can do land back for your property. Do you want to explain what land back is? Because I feel like a lot of people don't know what it is. And I... I, I I have heard had it explained to me and I understand what it is, but I like could not explain it. Yeah, I feel like I'm not going to do a great job of what land back is. So basically what the land back movement sort of is, is essentially a campaign that is seeking to reestablish uh, indigenous people and political as uh, indigenous people's political and economic control over land Mm -hmm. if you like bought your house and your land and your tax parcel instead of paying taxes to your town um for your land like for your property tax you would pay taxes to the local reservation so the tribe owns your land it's not coming and taking your house away or your land you still live on your property and you can do whatever you want with your house and your land. That's what who you're paying taxes to. Is I mm-hmm. believe I believe what the gist of land back is. Essentially, it's indigenous tribes own owning the land that has always belonged oh. to them. Yeah, uh, I found. A, I, I'm basically skimming an article about it to find because there's a phrase that I was looking. Go to for. landback.org there to learn a- more. Landback.org is a good resource. I was looking for a specific phrase, and it's uh, returning indigenous sovereignty. Yep. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, Landback.org has a whole... You can read about like their manifesto and what they're working on and, and what it means. But essentially, the government has really stripped reservations from holding any sort of political power and there's a lot of um food deserts and poverty because of the u.s government uh just having zero respect and not caring about indigenous people mm-hmm. at all and so again I it's also another if you if you want a selfish reason to contribute to land back it's way better for the environment yeah like statistically yeah that too it is um an active action against climate change yeah i mean obviously it's like the right thing to do and like important for that reason but also if you want to be selfish about it climate change yeah um and Oh, there was a thing I was going to say as well. Um, Yeah, you're still a community member in, like, your town. You're not going to become a part of a reservation because you're not indigenous. Yeah. Um, But, oh, no, what I was going to say is, like, it's just another part of, like, systemic oppression of indigenous people. Yeah. Um, Similar to, like, 
redlining in urban areas. Yeah. It's just another form of that. Um, because, like, the land that we're on has always belonged to indigenous people. Um, it's just been denied to them by the U.S. government. So land back is a way to um, give your land back. It's in it's it's in it's in the name. Yeah. Um, okay. So back to back back to specifically the MFA mm-hmm. and um, Elizabeth James Perry. I was loath in my description to even mention the Dolan, James Perry said recently, walking alongside the raw earth peeled back at the sculpture's base to accommodate her crop. For her, the project isn't about that. It's about a, a northeastern reflection of who we are as people and our connection to the lands and the oceans here. Um, then there's a picture of feet on shells. And it's captioned, artist Elizabeth James Perry stood late last month on crushed quahog shells. Part of her work, Raven reshapes Boston, a native corn garden at the MFA. The cornfield, which she calls Raven reshapes Boston, a native corn garden at the MFA, is a declaration of defiance, of reclamation, of saying out loud what needs to be said, that the Dolan is woefully disconnected from the people it purports to represent. Her work... Those were some. Those that was a lot of plosives. <laughs> um, her work grounds it for the first time in deep and full context of a place and a people conspicu- conspicuously. Is that how you say that word? Mm-hmm. Absent from the piece itself, Dolan's figure is an amalgam. Who? <laughs> Excuse me, Murray White. You have made this very difficult to read. <laughs> um. Do, 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 do. I mean, amalgam is the word of is the word I would use there. Yeah, but it's a hard word for me to say. <laughs> it's a lot of A's. Dawn's figure is an amalgam of Native American tropes, a mashup of Navajo and Dakota aesthetics, uh, disconnected from indigenous peoples here. Um, it's a cartoon, James Perry said. It's out of place, not native, not northeastern, not in any way reflecting the sovereign nations from this place. It is worth noting that the MFA hired its first ever staff curator of Native American art, Marina Tekenko. I don't want to look. Tekenko? Maybe? Maybe. Um, I tried to click on it to get the pronunciation but then I got I got paywalled. Ouch. Um, um, ah, first ever staff curator of Nar- Native American art, uh, Marin- Marina Tekenko. Yeah. Uh, just this week, at a time when appeal to the Great Spirit has never been more glaringly out of step with the times. Uh. Yeah, first ever staff curator of Native American art right now seems... Yeah, now? Excuse me, especially considering, like, what was it, two years ago that they started having a Native American art section? Yikes. Maybe maybe have a Native American art curator? Though I I guess you need to have a collection before you can have a curator. Yeah. I've never run a museum. Um... (laughs) 
but I imagine if you don't have any art, it's hard to have a curator. It's hard to allot funds of a curator specifically for that art. Anyway, it's it's long overdue. Um, monumental works like Dolan's have been the subject of protest and defacement for more than a year now, alongside rising urgency around social justice tied to the country's ugly history of enslavement and Native American genocide. On the front steps of New York's Museum of Natural History, the removal of a grandiose statue of Theodore Roosevelt flanked by an indigenous man and a black man was unanimously approved by New York City officials last month. Um, Good. Several people I spoke to thought the Roosevelt statue would break trail for the MFA to do the same with the Dolan. In April, when the museum announced James Perry's project, along with a sunflower garden by... Ikuya Holmes, Holmes, I stopped in to speak with MFA director Matthew Teitelbaum. He uh, told me the Dolan piece couldn't stand in isolation any longer, as it had for more than a century. But when I asked if James Perry's work was a prelude to it being moved somewhere less prominent, he said, we're not there. Mm. Dude. Mm. Um, it's been a long road to get even this far. Collecting Stories was capped with a public symposium on the sculpture in March 2019. Powell joined Heather Leville, director of the Cyrus Dolan Art Museum in Arlington, and Emily Burns, an art history professor at Auburn University, to discuss issues of stereotype, appropriation, and intent around Dolan and his likely best-known work. I didn't know he had his own museum in Arlington. I wouldn't go to it. But uh, from there, Layla Bermio, a curator in the MFA's Art of the Americas Department and curatorial research associate Tess Lukey, also a member of the Akana Wampanoag, uh, started crafting language to address the previously unspeakable, at least in public and on, par- on part of the museum, in the curator's own words, that the piece from the piece for some, represented a painful stereotype by a white artist made for white audiences. It's so problematic, Lukey told me recently. It represents ignorant and it represents misunderstanding. Absent an eventual recollection. What? Absent an eventual relocation. Not recollection. There we go. (laughs) Sorry, guys. I'm struggling to read today. This is a hard article, man. An eventual relocation, which Lukey would like to see, the museum commissioned James Perry's work to help move a difficult conversation forward. Even through, even though it's inaccurate, it's a teaching moment, she said. Garden is a collaboration between Lukey's department and the museum's contemporary art division. At Arlington's Cyrus Dolan Museum, a repurposed historical home, Leville has been gently prodding her advisory board to embrace that kind of teaching. The organization has been working with Massachusetts people on museum programming, including a recent land acknowledgement. Uh, Leville is well aware of problems not only with appeal to the great spirit, but a range of other Dolan, piece, Dolan works that have landed in public places just as context-free. Uh, We have our own mini appeals situation right here in Arlington. I didn't know that. She said in reference to Dolan's Monotomy Indian Hunter, a sculpture of a loin-clad man that is perched by a garden fountain near Town Hall. What? What? I have not seen this. Um, 
for many years, Lievel said, the maybe it's Lavelle. Lavelle said, the figure inspired the city high's school sports mascot. The figure inspired the city's high school sports mascot. It's still emblazoned on the police and fire department crests, though it's finally in the process of being replaced. I don't really pay attention to what the uh, Arlington police crest is, but I am not that surprised that it has racist art of depicting Native American uh, tribal leaders. Um, that his work could have produced such casual insensitivities would surely have distressed Dolan himself. Ooh. Do we know that? Um, Ooh, man. He grew up. Ooh, uh-oh. I just looked up the, the Arlington High School lo- high school logo. What is it? Ooh, not good. I No, I believe that. I just, I don't, I can't picture it. Like, I, I've probably seen it, but in... In my in my mind's eye, I am just seeing our high school uh, mascot, which was not that. Yeah, the place I'm about to move to also is at the center of a debate about uh, a logo, and I'm in a Facebook. I was in a Facebook group. I have since left this particular Facebook group. Um, and people just don't seem to get it. (laughs) Oh, oof. Okay. I've seen the one that just has the Arlington A on it. I have not seen the one. Oof. Yikes. Yeah. I don't even want to, I don't want to describe what it is because it's pretty bad. Um, I guess if the North really Quincy one is is also I'm looking at the one for North Quincy as well. Also really bad. Anyway, um if you really want to see it, look it up for yourself, but I'm not going to be the one to describe it on here. It's really racist. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's not as overtly racist as like some of the other you know, sports sports teams that exist out there. But like it's not good. Yeah, it's not it's not good. Um, I would be not happy to wear that or to have that as my high school. And um nobody should be if yeah. they have any ounce of empathy or understanding for any other human person. Shocking. Have empathy for another person. Like Jesus yeah. Christ. Um that his work could have produced such casual insensitivities would surely have distressed Dolan himself. I don't know the man. Maybe. But I don't know. I mean, he was born in 1861. Yeah. Though he lived in Arlington for nearly all of his adult life, he was born in Utah in 1861. He grew up near a Ute. Is that how you say that? Sure. Ute community in the Wasatch Mountains and had frequent social contact with families there. By the 1870s, when Dolan was a teenager, the federal government... I tried to combine federal and government just there with my mouth. It's okay. It's okay. The federal government's agenda of forced removal of indigenous peoples had increased in both pace and severity, and he watched as neighbors and friends were shunted to faraway reservations. Let's call it what it is. Let's call it what it is. Trail of Tears. 
Is that yeah. that's Trail of Tears was in the South, but um, this is part of it. It's the yeah. uh, <laughs> forcible the Indian... relocation of people off their own land. Yeah, which was at the time called the Indian Removal Act. So if you want to look it up and read more about it, that's what it was called. But yeah, yeah the forced removal of people from their own land and um, let's be honest, attempt genocide. Yeah. Um, it God, this country him. is a terrible record. Horrible record. Yeah. Really, really awful record. I will say, for those of you in the UK and Canada who want to be like, y'all have a terrible record. You guys, yeah, your you're hands not are much not better. Blood. <laughs> yeah, especially Canada. Um, in, and Australia. And Australia. Um, God, no, Australia. You don't get a free pass either. Anywhere, <laughs> anywhere other than Europe, where there that is currently predominantly white people, has a history of uh, genocide. Um, can we just say like pretty much any any anywhere? Well, once you get into like Nordic countries, it gets complicated. Yeah. Um. Anyway, this instilled in him, Don, a righteous anger that would inform his life's work. For him, there's a real inch issue of intention versus impact. Laval said recently while standing in the museum's front parlor, crammed with models of Don's indigenous works. At certain points during his life, he truly worried that Native people would literally be no more. He saw himself as standing up and saying, this is not right. We have to stop doing this. Okay. In, inter um, interesting. Compl maybe he's a more complicated man than I thought. Yeah. I think he thought when he was making this art that it was going to be good. Like it was good. Like it was a good representation that would uh, help uh, protect and remember indigenous people who are being like systematically killed. Yeah. Um, Don see my, in my head I thought this was like made in the 1950s yeah no. and I did not realize that this particular not that it's an excuse for it to still be up today yeah. I didn't realize that this statue outside of the MFA was made in 1908 yeah um shouldn't be up today mm -hmm. in the year of our lord 2021 um but it sounds like the Dolan himself is more complex yeah. Like in his most artwork. historical figures, he was not either good or bad. Exactly. He was a human person who existed in a time that we cannot currently wrap our heads around. Yes, and contextualize. Um, Don earned a living teaching at the school now known as Mass Art, and off high-profile commissions, the Paul Revere sculpture in Boston's North End is among his best known. Oh, that's him. What? Well, at least he did, you know, at least he didn't make the fucking Christopher Columbus statue. Y'all want to hear my hot Paul Revere take? The only reason anyone gives a shit about Paul Revere is because of that stupid poem. Um, I thought you were going to say of, Johnny Tremaine. He was one of three writers, and of the three, he made it the least far. And got captured. He got, he... While he was supposed to be spreading the word of the oncoming war and warning people so they could take up arms or take shelter, he was getting drunk and he got so wasted, he fell off his horse <laughs> and was captured by invading soldiers. So the fact I that was... we glorify him as this hero is bullshit. He was he was a he was a messenger who didn't do his fucking job. He was a pretty good silversmith, though. 
Yeah, but that's not what people remember him for. That's not what people... Well, so I was at some museum with my dad a little, like, last... Two, maybe two years ago. And we were looking at... They had a bunch of silver works, and some of them were by Paul Revere. And I was like, Paul Revere? And my dad looks at me and he goes, yeah, Paul Revere. Not just... No, he said Paul Revere. Unlike um, Darcy, Mr. Darcy, of Pride and Prejudice... He looks at me and he goes, yeah, unlike Mr. Darcy, he's not just some guy. And I'm like, I'm going to beg to differ with you on that. Anyway. Um, so it was, it was for the record. But ac- it was according to my father, according to my father, uh, Mr. Darcy is just some guy. Pretty accurate. Pretty accurate. Um, according, so um, it wasn't just for the record. It was Paul Reveal's Pearl Revere. Samuel Prescott, Israel Bissell, William Davies, and Sybil Luddington, who were riding out. And the only one who gets remembered is Paul Revere, and he did the worst job. Yeah. Because his name is easy to rhyme, I guess. Yeah. Anyway, should anyway, we... Should we uh, do, do we want to... Let me, let me finish up this article, because it's... I got just a little bit... I, there's just a little bit more that I want to address that's in this article. Um, basically... Where the fuck was I? Um, he was teaching at Mass Art. He was teaching at Mass Art. He made the Paul Revere sculpture. His Native American works were done on his own time and at his own expense. Um, and he made four major equestrian sculptures of indigenous men. A signal of peace, which now stands in Lincoln Park in s- Chicago. The Medicine Man, now in Philadelphia's Fairmount Park. Protest of the CU for the 1904 Sioux. Sioux? Sioux. Which Protest is, of the Sioux. Um, uh, Sioux is also Lakota and Dakota. I, I, hang on, let me double. Let me, I believe that's Lakota and Dakota. Um, at, uh, like, um, similar to, it, it was a name given by um, colonizers. Mm. So... I did not know that. But if you want to get an indigenous cookbook, the sous chef's indigenous cookbook is a really fun play on words. Oh, nice. And it's spelled um, S-I-O-U-X. Yes. Like, but like, it's like sous chef. Yeah. Like the French way. Um, um, the, the sculpture is called Protest of the Sioux for the 1900 Fair St. Louis World Fair. And finally, Appeal to the Great Spirit, which won a gold medal at the Paris Salon before landing at the MFA's front lawn. Yeah, the, the, Sioux, the Sioux Nation mm-hmm. is, is a name that was given by colonizers to mostly Lakota and Dakota tribes there, uh, of the, the northern Great Plains. Um, so uh, Dolan put many of his indigenous figures on horseback, Level said, to give them equal footing with grandiose equestrian statues of quote-unquote great men. I'm just going to leave that where it's sitting. Y'all can, y'all can come to your own conclusions about what he was describing when he said he wanted to put them on the same footing as great men while putting a statue on a horse. Um, uh... It was his way of humanizing them because most Americans had no idea who they were. But now I can absolutely see how they're dehumanizing, how they overshadow really important aspects of indigenous people being able to represent themselves in a contemporary way. That's um, Laval. Laval. Um, 
It hasn't helped, of course, that the MFA has left its Dawn piece floating in space on the lawn with no context for, a, for more than a century. Through massive upheavals in the social fabric, through the civil rights era and the 1970s activism of the American Indian movement, the museum displayed the work without so much of as, as a label until earlier this year. Um, yeah, can yeah. we please have some context about who, who, one, who the artist is, because I would have liked to have known that Dolan made these works on his own money, yeah. on his own time. In order to um, humanize and represent uh, people he knew who were being eradicated. Yeah. Granted, I, like, I don't think the piece is a good, it's not good. It's, it's now not it's good not representation, a- but it was made for, with good intentions. And again, ent- intentions versus impact is a big part of this debate. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's, that was, that that there's the rest of this is mainly about the statue and Dolan, but we kind of, we got the gist of it. Um, but right now there's two, two art pieces that are contextualizing it in a new light um, and kind of existing around it. Like specifically Elizabeth James Perry was like, I'm trying to make this in spite of not because of the statue and was like, I've kind of been ignoring the statue Um what was the exact? Yeah. Yeah. I think I, I wanted to mention one thing in this article. Talks about how um, when the winter comes around, um, uh, James Perry's sort of planting is going to be gone. Yeah. And the statue is again going to be sort of out there without context. Mm-hmm. Which is again a little frustrating. Yeah, it's like the the MFA for those people who are listening who are not from the Boston area is a huge. It is the Massachusetts Fine Arts Museum. It is the Massachusetts Museum for Art. It is the museum of. It is the Museum of Fine Arts. It is. It is, and not only that, the museum itself is fucking enormous. Yeah. It's really big. It has and a the ton only thing of money. Out front for a hundred years was the statue, and now yeah. there's this statue and some corn and some sunflowers. Yeah, um, and a but sign. The, but like, yeah, there's, signage. But the in corn the and the winter, sunflowers will die. Yeah, and like, it's like, just they're doing again. It comes back to like big institutions doing literally the bare minimum. Um, and I'm not saying that these pieces that they are doing aren't good and moving the ball forward. Um, and I'm happy that this article mentions that, um, yeah, the, like, the last paragraph of this yeah, article. I'm, I'm skimming down to the last paragraph. Yeah, the last um, paragraph of this article, if you want to read it. Yeah, no, I was, I was going to kind of get there. I just wanted to oh, summarize yeah, yeah, yeah. before I got there. Because yeah, there's, like, it. another paragraph about Dolan that I don't really want to read. Joseph Zordon, a PhD candidate at Harvard's History of Art and Architecture, who studies the impact of political violence on art, uh, for him, the Dolan embodies a much broader dilemma for museums like the MFA, trying to move forward while yoked to the past. Uh, last summer, Jordan, an enrolled member of the Bad Ri- River Ojibwe Tribal Nation. Oji- Ojibwe. Ojibwe. 
Tribal Nation, wrote an essay for the MFA's website condemning Dolan for having taken our grief as indigenous peoples and cast and immobilized it in bronze, cursed to hang in the air forever. What we're dealing with here is something that's so static, not just the piece, but really the image of the Indian itself, he said when we spoke recently. Zordon has a broader point. Museums aren't going anywhere, and for the foreseeable future, neither is appeal to the great spirit. But there's still room for change, little by little. The idea of a garden that's soft, that's ephemeral, that's living, feels like a step towards something. Out on the MFA lawn, James Perry watched as the farmer charged with caring for her crop tended to the stalks. Dolan's piece will come off its pedestal, its feet licked by a wave of living present, but it's only the first step. I was just saying to another museum, shouldn't something like this go in a collection of Euro-American art or European art, white art, I guess, or something people used to do, she said and laughed. In the meantime, there will be moments to savor. I'm looking forward to the sheer amount of life in a cornfield, the movement of all those leaves, the way the wind sounds going through them and the corn silks, going through them and the corn silks. And she said, and sharing the harvest with the community in the fall, which is what this is really about. Also important is the what they're doing with the corn because she's growing food yeah. and it's going to the local indigenous tribes. Yeah, it's going to her community. Yeah. Um, but fall gives way to winter, and in December, with the food gathered and the life gone, appeal to the great spirit will still be there, alone once more in the darkening chill. Finally, though, after all these years, we'll have a new question to ask. What next? Yeah, it's just like... It's one of those things where it's like, I feel like institutions are like, we're going to take little ee dee 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 steps and i'm like well people don't want edbd baby steps and i know you have like a board to please and, yeah. and here's members about to baby please steps, but is they're only effective if you keep making them and they eventually give way to bigger steps that's the point of like baby babies steps. babies don't take baby steps forever yeah. soon they start fucking walking and babies don't take one step and then they decide that they're done you know yeah and they that's keep- my thing it's like they keep that's trying my to other keep thing steps about until they can walk. That's my other thing about, you know, like big institutions mm-hmm. is that right now they're trying to please the board members and the members they have right now. Yeah. What are they going to do in 5, 10, 15 years when those board members are all dead <laughs> and they need new people to be on the board and they haven't done enough? To make yeah. people who, probably not me, because I won't have enough money, but, like, people who are young and want to get involved in the arts, but who are conscious of things like this and are like, you didn't do enough. Absolutely. You didn't do enough. And so we're going to go to an institution and we're going to give our money to an institution that actually did something. Excuse me. For, like, for example, my aunt and uncle... Um, are both musicians at um an orchestra in Kentucky. They're at the I don't think they'll mind. Like they're they're at the Louisville Symphony Orchestra. And the conductor at their orchestra has set up it's like the first orchestra let me look it up. Um has set up a foundation um basically their conductor is working with local 
rap artists and they've set up a like conservatory of rap music with their um orchestra they're like symphony orchestra um fuck i could read this article for the day but i i found one that's a little bit goofier and i feel like doing two more serious ones is mm-hmm. um maybe not the the move but you know it's like that is the kind of institution that i think younger people yeah are going to gravitate towards because it's smart and it it's maybe smart isn't the right word but like it's conscious of what our generation is interested in you have people who are not to say that we're not interested in classical music but the pair of it's innovative it's interesting it's new mm-hmm. and it's like the the combination of this i think is really really interesting and yeah. i just think that like it's and people think of classical music as like old and snobby and stuffy and to pair it with um rap which is and hip hop which is rooted in black culture is really a good thing because it means that it is no longer going to be this white institution and i think that's a good i think that's a good thing and it's moving the ball in like the right direction anyway that's that's my opinion mm-hmm. but like baby steps are are only going to get you so far yeah it's that's Sorry. basically what i'm trying I, to say as you've been talking you mentioned Never mind. I'll talk about it later. Not not when my microphone is hot. Um, anyway. <laughs> um, yeah. So, art. Um, oh, but what I was... Brain, brain, brain. There's a tweet and it's like, um, people want to elect... Uh, uh, young people keep trying to elect more uh, millennials to Congress. And then there's the tweet that's like, I sure hope so, based on my linear understanding of time. Uh, yeah, I sure hope it does. Like, as as time goes on, people who were born in later years will be in positions of power, and their opinions are going to matter because, you know, they'll be the right age for this. Uh, yeah. I sure hope it does. Anyway, should we move to the middle bit? I have several things I want to plug before yeah. we get into into ourselves. One, as always, we mentioned um, Land Back to go look into, Move to Higher Ground, uh, Line 3. Um, stop your, Line 3 specifically. Stop line, stopline3.org <laughs> specifically. Yeah. Um, We're pro Land Back and pro Move to Higher Ground and anti-Line 3, just to be Anti-Line 3, just to be very, very, very clear. Um, but make sure you're calling your representatives, calling the Army Corps of Engineers. Um, one other thing, uh, quick, what was the, oh, I, do, I don't really want to get too, too into it because I have not done enough research. I've not had enough time, but I do want to give, um, if you have the money to donate to two organizations, Women for Women International is working on getting um, Afghan women and children out of the country right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to get too down in the weeds about all of that. There are better people 
who know more and who can talk so much more art- articulately than I can. I've not. Yeah. At this point, done... we're basically like, here's an issue that you might not know about. Here's a resource for you to find out more. Because there's yeah. so many issues. So much stuff. Um, and then um, the last one I wanted to say was um, there are a lot of not great GoFundMes for the earthquake that just happened in Haiti right now. Yeah. If you want to donate, um, a really good, really reputable um, group is Partners in Health. Um, mm-hmm. They're based out of Boston. They have, like, my my brother actually worked for them doing contact tracing um, this past year. Yeah. They um, are Haiti has super specifically su- said, don't donate to Red Cross to help don't them. Don't donate. Because that's yeah, not going to help them. Yeah, don't donate to Red Cross. Partners in Health is... Um, I they have a documentary called Bending the Arc as well. If you want to yeah. like learn more about their story, in general, big name charities look into them before donating to them. Because if you hear the name of a charity all the time, you might think, "Oh, this is a reputable charity that I should spend money on, like Red Cross or whatever." Like, look into them. <laughs> yeah, I have done like my own, and yeah. like I said, my brother I, literally worked for them. I understand so. the appeal of like a big name charity over one that you just kind of heard about on the internet but like for instance people of Haiti are saying don't donate to Red Cross to help us yeah I um, mean I've I've also heard people directly who are like have boots on the ground in Haiti have been saying donate to partners in health as well yeah. um because they've uh, had partners in health has built and had boots on the ground in Haiti for years and since like the early 90s basically mm-hmm. um they've been there treating um, AIDS and malaria and doing a lot of really, really good work. They actually, um, one of the focuses of the documentary was about getting medical funding. This was in, I watched the documentary a while ago, so I'm, my me- memory's a little fuzzy. Um, it was either in, I think it was either in Chile or Peru about getting, um, not malaria. Mm, I forget what disease it is but funding for treatment for a disease and basically the medical community at large was like funding is too expensive for treating this disease so we'll just let these people die because it's not worth it and partners in health was basically like fuck you this is ridiculous just because these people live in a country that doesn't have the resources to provide for them you're just gonna let them die fuck off was essentially their whole thing Mm -hmm. um and so they did the they treated all of these people and did the research and actually said it's actually way better if we treat people like human beings and take care of them and um they did and then the medical community was like, oopsie daisies, maybe we should. So, um, anyway, yeah, Partners in Health is a really good Partners organization. Stopline3.org, landback.org, uh, move to higher ground. Uh, Women for Women International. Um, also, I think. Um, I don't know if we're keeping it in, but we mentioned J.K. Rowling. And my personal rule is whenever I mention J.K. Rowling to also mention Mer- Mermaids, which is the uh, trans health charity in the U.K. Right. Yeah. Anyway, I think those are all of the ones that I want to 
cover right now yeah that i have like those were all the ones that i had on like the top of my head from now Um, on whenever we talk about harry potter we mention mermaids and whenever we talk about uh twilight twilight move to higher ground yeah i agree with both of those things um Um, if there are any other like charities or things that you want us to mention email um, us email us or send us a tweet at uh, HYHTGN podcast on Twitter and HYHTG, HYHTGN podcast on gmail.com. At gmail.com. At gmail. <laughs> oh boy, I can't talk anymore. Um. Yeah. Uh, as always, drink water. I'm you actually literally gonna ro- run and refill my water bottle real quick because I'm Go do forced. it. I'll keep talking. Uh, drink water. You literally need it to survive, which is why we are taking part and talking about line three um you cannot survive without it water is life uh so drink drink your water very very important um in the summer you can drink it with hard water which is just ice um use use moisturizer and sunscreen put sunscreen on sunscreen's good for you i'll say that too um Mm. here's another reminder take your meds i'll say that in case you forgot because i usually forget um what else oh we've said it like the last several weeks but we were on a friend's podcast exiting through the 2010s with our friends jack and clay we talked about the meg um that was quite enjoyable uh so go check out jack and clay's podcast exiting through the 2010s yeah it was great came out by the time this episode goes up came out last week (laughs) because we're behind um but yeah go check out their podcast we have a week delay in our podcasting schedule Eh, not the worst thing in the world anyway it's a buffer it's a Um. it's a buffer anyway are you ready for a headline without context i am i don't think i have too much more Excuse me to say, I do now have the hiccups, um, but hopefully so they go away. I saw this first on a tweet that said, oh, wait, I do have one more thing to say. <laughs> sorry. Sorry. I um, don't buy Oreos. There's a strike happening. Yes. There's a Nabisco strike. Um, so there's a bunch of products. If you look up. I, I, I don't want to, like, go through and read There's all of so them. many. Like There's so most, many different... Uh, giant corporations under American capitalism, they own a zillion things. They own a lot of products, but the um, biggest one is Oreo and Chips Ahoy. But yeah. um, Nabisco, there is a factory strike because the factory wants people to work 12-hour days and weekends without any overtime pay. Um, uh. which is why factory workers are striking. So the, yeah. the biggest products are like Ritz and Chips Ahoy and Oreo and um, Wheat Thins and Triscuits. And yes, if you look you it up, just Google Nabisco. <laughs> yeah. But I also wanted to mention the strike. I don't know if it'll still be happening um. by the time we're doing by the time the episode goes yeah. up. But and I just want to say, um, don't in general when there is a big strike going on don't cross the picket line that being said um i don't remember which there was some strike recently maybe it was the pepsi strike i'm not sure 
Um, where... There was a Frito-Lay strike, too. Yeah. But um, one of the products was, like, a common brand of, like, dog and cat kibble. Don't abruptly change your pet's food. That can be really horrible for the pet. Like, don't generally don't cross the picket line. But I saw a lot of people being, like, um, like talking about pet food specifically. And I was like, don't abruptly change your pet's food. Like, that can be really bad for them. Yeah. <laughs> and also, like, if there's specific dietary or medical equipment that you like medical equipment or medicine or like very specific dietary needs that you have yeah take care of your own health yeah yeah i mean i feel like this goes with the the jewish rules about fasting yeah you know the the on yom kippur the jewish rule about fasting is if you need to take care of your medical health that comes first yeah. But in general, there are other ways to support. And, like, here's what you do. There are other ways to support people who are striking than, like, in general, the, the most important rule is not crossing the picket line. But if you have to cross the picket line, there are other ways to support strike worker, yeah. workers on strike. I just, because there was, also, like, don't harass. This is a very specific instance, but I saw somebody... Um, who was recovering from an eating disorder, who was autistic on TikTok, who was getting harassed for eating, I think it was wheat thins, as one of their safe foods. Yeah, it's like, don't do... Don't harass people. Don't ever harass people about what they're eating. Ever. Don't. Just don't. So, yeah, I just... Strike is very important. Try not to cross the picket line, but don't... Like, some people... We'll have Don't to. harass people. And there are other ways that you can support workers on strike. Yeah. Support your anyway. local unions. Yeah. Always. And anyway, headline without context. Yes. Um, so I originally saw this as a tweet that said, I'll read the headline and then share the tweet. Um, uh, the headline is from whatsonstage.com. This article is by Alex Wood. A Rocky Horror. Dartford venue accidentally orders Fort. Excuse me. Dartford venue accidentally orders four hundred sixteen sausages instead of Frankenfurter wigs. <laughs> the the tweet I said saw was Frankenfurter accident. Uh, Rocky Horror uh, venue ordered four hundred sixteen sausages instead of Frankenfurter costume components. Oh, man. Because, you know, Frankenfurter. Oh, man. That's hilarious. That's so bad. <laughs> Stinky. Sausages. They're going to have a sausage, special, spe- a sausage special at the theater. <laughs> a sausage party, if you will. Jesus. Uh. Would you like to hear my article? Wait, wait, wait. Sorry. Sorry. I was just I was just skimming the article. And apparently the supplier, which is a party supply company. Wait, what? Stocks both wigs and sausages. Why? Are these like fake sausages? No, they're cans of sausages, cans of hot dogs. Ew. Gross. But apparently they didn't like order from the wrong supplier. The supplier Gross. just also had sausages. 
disgusting. Imagine being That's... somebody who sells wigs and sausages. <laughs> Gross. Gross. Oh, they donated. They donated the cans of sausages to local food banks. Good. Good. Would you like to hear about how a beloved rat, gi- sorry, a beloved giant rat won free speech rights? I would love to hear about how a beloved giant rat won free speech rights. It's not a real, like, living rat. Ooh, can I, I guess which rat it is? Sure. Is it Remy from Ratatouille? No. Is it... I was trying to think of another rat, but Mickey Mouse is a mouse, and Chuck mm-hmm. each Ch- Charles Entertainment Cheese is also a mouse. Sometimes um, I forget that the E stands for entertainment. The E actually stands for ecstasy. Charles does hire drugs. So, okay. A.C. <laughs> Wardsbury, a local organizer for the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150, a couple of local construction... That's, this is... What is this sentence? An organizer from the International Union of Operating Engineers... Local 150, a couple of construction workers are protesting on the sidewalk in Chicago in late July. They're flanked by a 12-foot inflatable rat named Scabby. It has pointy teeth, red eyes, and is and depictions of oozing pus-filled scabs on his belly. According to a recent decision from the National Labor Relations Board, this giant rat and is its brethren across the country now have free speech rights. Fuck. Giant inflatable rats have been used for decades as a widely recognized symbol for labor disputes. But last year, the board... Um, sing- fun fact. Mm. Uh, fun fact. Uh, my college, I went to Sarah Lawrence, during my year's acceptance students day, which I was not at because I was out of the country in japan um my my school's accepted students day uh the what was it the student worker union had a giant inflatable rat at the accepted students day events Mm -hmm. um and that is why several of my friends decided to go to Sarah lawrence well i mean i guess my article is quite topical because we were just talking about the nabisco strike yeah workers Um, rights forever Workers' rights, unionize. Um, They've been used as a symbol of labor disputes, but last year the board signaled it could be persuaded, signaled it could be persuaded to outlaw their use in certain situations. Watersburg Union, the local 150, claims it invented scabby to protest labor issues almost three decades ago. The term scab is is slang used by unions to describe strike breakers. It started with a simple drawing, a simple rat drawing on a protest sign. It elicited so many questions from passersby that unions started making rat costumes for members to scamper around in. (laughs) The costumes were hot and impractical, so they commissioned giant rat inflatables, inspired by one used on car lots surrounding the union hall. Mm. These days, what... What Wartsburg Ba I am I think I've fucked it up every single time. Uh Wartsba says most people love Scabby. 
Despite his appearance, union members frequently take Christmas card photos with it, and countless more take selfies when they spot it in the wild. But the people who hate the rat tend to really hate it. Wart's boss says that he has often been run over graffitied with blue pa- and graffitied with blue paint. Wartzbaugh joked that it was smurfed and even stabbed. Don't. We love Scabby. Scabby. Scabby for, scabby for life. Um, one location we were at, an irate lady came out and started stabbing it with a butcher knife. Oh, my God. Jesus. Um, there's scars right here on the, rat, on the rat where it's been stitched back up to make it work again. But she was going to town trying to kill Scabby. Um, inflatable rat as the iconic symbol of labor. Oh, this is a, one of those headlines within the headline. Mm. Um, Ortsbaugh says his union members are proud of those scars. It's why they requ- request this particular inflatable animal. Even though the union also displays inflatable cats and pigs, no matter the character... They have the same goal, to draw attention to the company with which the union has a dispute. Mm-hmm. It's the iconic symbol of a labor dispute, Warthbaugh says. When they see the rat without... I believe I said Waterbaugh the first time. Who knows? When they see the rat without even knowing what's going on, most people understand it's a labor dispute. But in this case, Scabby the Rat has been positioned in front of a LG construction has been positioned in front of a business LG construction that has little to do with the union's main dispute a banner in front of the rat shows the union's real issue with uh with an entire different business called Brophy Evacuation the local 150 wants to shame LG construction for doing business with Bro- Brophy Evacuation Excavation. Brophy excavation. Excuse me. For years, firms have been crying foul about using giant inflatable animals in that way. They say it's unfair and puts them in the crossfire between unions and and a totally different company. Uh, Again, another headline within a headline. Scabby the Rat has free speech rights. Philip... Miss Camara? Miss... Miss Camara, Philip Miss Camara, is a former chair of the National Labor Relations Board. He calls it a miniature Supreme Court of labor law. He says the board has always ruled that it's fair to use scabby just about anywhere, but that changed a bit in late 2020. The board, a couple of months ago, solicited briefs and telegraphed the possibility that the board might revisit this area. And viewed th- these issues differently, he says. So Miss Camara wrote a brief on behalf of retail businesses. In it, he argued that installing a giant inflatable rat outside any shop only serves to scare off customers. Whether or not you like it, inflatable rats and the underlying mess. Whether or not you like the inflatable rats, the underlying message is there's a dispute between. There's a dispute that these people are having with the party that's directly behind the rat, he says. 
Ed Mayer, with the local 150, argued that these inflatable rats should be allowed to roam free under the First Amendment. Scabby the Rat has free speech rights, he says, and it's protected and is a protected symbol of free speech per pure as that. After months of deliberation, the National Labor Relations Board sided with the union on the issue in a three-to-one ruling. In the majority decision issued last month, it said that because the Supreme Court upheld fair, far more offensive actions like cross-burning and anti-homosexual signs at military funerals as free speech, a giant rat should be protected too. I mean, I guess. I mean, they're, they're not wrong. That is true. Yeah. That means for now, Scabby and his inflatable friends can be used as part of a protest wherever unions want. Coupled with more union-friendly presidential administrations, it could be the first in a series of wins for labor. Even so, Ms. Camara says that inflatable rats' fates should be appealed. If that happens, Mayor says the unions will be ready for a fight. We'll always fight for Scabby, Mayor says. We're fighting for any workers, just most most basics, just most basic right to go out and say, we've got something to say, come and listen. If it's the big inflatable rat, if the big inflatable rat will encourage people to come and listen to him, good. Mayor says they'll continue to deplace deploy scabby and other huge inflatables because they work they help draw attention to labor to the labor issues the unions want to focus on good for scabby yeah um i i'm gonna be honest i zoned out a little bit because my brain is not having a focus day um did it mention in the article do unions like borrow each other's giant inflatable rats I believe so. I just, I, I love that. I believe, like, so this is, is in Chicago. Camaraderie. I believe this is in Chicago. So different labor unions within Chicago will use, I believe, will use Scabby. Fuck yeah. Sorry, I'm nodding. <sighs> we've been recording for like two hours, y'all. Yeah, <laughs> My brain is starting to shut down. We've been recording for two hours at this point. Oh, uh, yeah. Scabby. Scabby the rat. He's a good, good boy. Does his job. I wonder if the inflatables will get unionized. <laughs> they should be. Anyway, um, good for the unions. Support the um, strike on Nabisco by not buying their products. Um, yeah. You have heard the good re- news. Fucking Christ. <laughs> It's okay. You have heard the good news about Twilight. Where do you even begin? Twilight. Yes. Um, new Twilight. New Twilight book covers. Yeah, that new are Twilight not really covers. new. Um, corn at the MFA. Yeah, specifically this like very poignant art piece. Yeah, um, cool, cool art at the MFA. Yeah. Um. Hot dogs. <laughs> Hot dogs. And um, unions. Unions. Um, resources. Um, Stopline3.org. Move and to hire. 
mthg.org. I'm going to just... Google it and put it in the description. Yeah, um, or just look up Move to Higher Ground. Um, um, women for Women International. Yes. Uh, Partners in Health. Mm-hmm. To donate to Women for Women International specifically for um, uh, supporting Afghan women right now. Uh, mm. Partners in Health to support uh, medical help uh, in Haiti after the earthquake that just happened. Mm-hmm. Um, were there any other resources that we Mermaids. mentioned? Mermaids UK, uh, UK for because uh, we talked about J.K. Rowling because <laughs> we talked about J.K. Rowling for trans. Uh, resources for trans and non-binary or just trans? Um, generally speaking, non-binary counts as trans right, when it right, comes right. to like, official organizations. Right. Because uh, trans just means not cis. Right. Um, though there are non-binary cis people. I, I saw an intersex non-binary person talking about how they're technically cis. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> gender's not real. Gender's um, fake anyway. Support anyway, your local so, trans. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah. Thank you so much for listening. I have been Dylan, sometimes Cat, and I've been just Sophia. <laughs> good night and good news. And I'll catch you on the flip side. Bye. Bye.